Well, good morning, Grace Bible Church. And after having been on sabbatical for three months, I feel like I have to say, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, in case you forgot. <laughs> well, last week we began a brief series through a very brief uh, book of the Bible, Paul's letter to Philemon. And today is part two of the series. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 16. Um, next Sunday will be the third and final part of the series, so we're, we're moving very quickly through this letter, um, in part because it is so brief, and yet, um, brief as it is, it's, it's packed full of, of wonderful things for us to consider. Life is full of hard conversations. I used to work in the software world, and I managed a team of engineers, and there was one team member who um, was underperforming. And so at one point I had to talk with this individual about it. A very uncomfortable conversation, as, as those of you who have had to do this kind of thing um, have experienced, um, in part because this engineer was actually a very likable person and, and quite bright and talented, but for whatever reason wasn't wasn't meeting expectations, and, and that's a difficult conversation to have with somebody, especially in this case when they're located on a different continent and the conversation has to happen by uh, video chat. Um, hard conversation. Um, and those kinds of conversations aren't limited to just the workplace, as you know. You know, sometimes... You have to talk with a, a friend or a family member who's making unwise choices. Uh, or you see someone toying with temptation or sin and, and you try to address it with them. Uh, or there's just simply misunderstanding between you and, and, this, and someone else. And, and you have to try to work through that and talk through it. And, and it's difficult. You know, real relationships require these kinds of tough conversations at times. It's, it's really inescapable. And, and like I said, these, these kinds of conversations are never easy. I, I don't think any of us really enjoy having them. But I think it's gotten even more difficult to have these kinds of talks in our current cultural climate. And, and what I'm talking about is what's been labeled by some as outrage culture. You know, anger, resentment, uh, rage have been adopted as virtues, seen as good things. Uh, we're, we're easily offended. We're irritable. We're mad about everything. And, and, that, and we're told we should be. And that outrage is just fed by a steady stream of, of political talk radio and, and 24-7 cable news. And you have hot takes on social media and, and Twitter rants and, and so forth. And... Things like civil discourse and persuasion have just kind of been kicked to the curb. And as Christians, we aren't immune to this. In fact, it's, it's so much the norm in our world, we may not even realize how we've been shaped by this outrage culture. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to embrace a different way, a way that is that reflects who Jesus is, a way that's shaped by how he treats us. And, and that doesn't mean, let me just give some uh, caveats here. 
That doesn't mean we shy away from difficult conversations just so we can come across as, as nice Christian people. Um, it doesn't mean that we avoid working through differences. It doesn't mean that we give up trying to persuade others of a, a better way. Um, what it means is that we do have these kinds of conversations, but we go about them in a Christian way. And, and Paul models that here for us in our passage in Philemon this morning. You could call his approach Christian persuasion or, or the Christian way to have tough conversations. And we're going to think about that together today. But, but first, and, and very briefly, let me just remind you what's going on here in Philemon, because it's very important to understand why Paul is doing what he's doing. Uh, Paul is writing to a Christian man named Philemon someone who's well-known in the Christian community in in Colossae. In fact, the church there meets in his home. And uh, one of his servants or slaves, a man named Onesimus, ran away. And and Paul seems to indicate in the letter that when Onesimus ran away, uh, he took some, he stole from Philemon, maybe money or some other possessions. And obviously Philemon uh, would not be happy about this whole situation. And as it turns out, Onesimus meets Paul. (laughs) And we don't know exactly how that happened. Craig talked a little bit last week about how it may have happened. But he meets Paul, becomes a Christian, uh, assists Paul in some way with Paul's gospel ministry. And now Paul wants to reconcile and reunite these two Christians, the, the slave owner and the former slave. And so Paul writes to Philemon to bring up this very delicate Subject. It's a very sensitive subject. And if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear what Craig said about how we should think about the Bible and slavery and slavery in the New Testament, you really need to go back and, and listen to what he said. He provided some helpful handles for how we ought to think about this kind of thing. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but I, I will just say that I think one of the, the key things to understand is that the the kind of slavery we read about here in Philemon and in other places in the New Testament was a much different thing than the race-based chattel slavery that was practiced for so long here in our own nation. It's a, a different kind of situation, not necessarily a good situation, but much different than what um, our own nation practiced for so long. And so, again, uh, on the slavery question, please go listen to last week's sermon if if you missed it. Today we're going to consider, again, this, like I said, this idea of Christian persuasion or just how do we have these kinds of tough conversations with each other in a Christian way. And there's three things I want to consider with you this morning. One, what it looks like. Two, what the goal is. And three, how this is possible. So what it looks like, what the goal is, and then we'll, we'll conclude by talking about how this is possible. Let me read the passage for us, and then I'll ask for God's help, and we'll jump in. So Philemon, the book of Philemon, there's only one chapter, beginning in verse 8. I'll read through verse 16. So after Paul has commended and affirmed uh, Philemon's Christian character, he says in verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help. Our God and Father, we do come to your word this morning asking that you would speak to us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things from your word. Give us uh, hearts that are receptive, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, what does it look like? What does having tough conversations in a Christian way look like? And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's gentle, not heavy-handed. Gentle, not heavy-handed. I mean, think about Paul's approach here in this letter. Paul, an apostle, someone who's been given uh, divine authority from King Jesus himself, uh, but he sets it aside. He doesn't issue a command, he, he says. He doesn't, come, he doesn't come with a long list of, of demands. Instead, what does he do? He tells us he appeals to Philemon. There in, in verse 9 at the beginning, he says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I could use my authority. I could just tell you, do X, Y, Z, but instead I'm going to appeal to you as a Christian brother. And he says it again, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. And as you read what Paul writes here, you see he really goes out of his way. He's at pains to avoid any hint of authoritarianism, any hint of of heavy-handedness. I mean, you see it even in the way he describes himself in verse 9. He says, I, Paul, am appealing to you. I'm an old man. I'm a, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, On the one hand, he's probably trying to elicit some sympathy from Philemon. And also, since Paul is an older man in the faith, he he might be hinting, you know, Philemon, uh, you should listen to what I have to say. Um, But still, Paul's not pulling rank. Uh, Later, we won't get to the verse this week, but in verse 17, Paul calls Philemon his partner. So he approaches Philemon as a Christian brother, one who, is, who has equal standing in the Lord. And so Paul takes the path of appeal and persuasion rather than control and intimidation. He's gentle, not heavy-handed. We think about what is gentleness? Let me just give you a, a dictionary definition. Uh, gentleness is, is being not harsh or severe or having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament or character. And then just related words that kind of draw out the idea kind, humane, merciful, forgiving, humble, um, meek. It, it, you could just go on and on uh, looking through the thesaurus. Gentleness is the opposite of the outrage culture I, I mentioned earlier where uh, you have this short fuse and you're just ready to blow all the time. 
Uh, Dane Ortland uh, writes in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says, a gentle person is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, or easily exasperated. And the Bible has a lot to say about gentleness. Um, just a, a few verses for you here. Don't turn there. Uh, you can just jot down the references if you like. But Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, along with things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, Galatians 6, 1, very important. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, don't be harsh with those who are entangled in sin. Uh, Be humble and remember that you too struggle. Uh, And perhaps most important of all, a, a statement from the lips of Jesus himself, and here Jesus is telling us about himself, Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly, in heart. And, and if you've read Gentle and Lowly, I mentioned it a moment ago by Dana Ortland. He makes a big deal out of this. This is the one of the only places in Scripture where Jesus says, this is what I am like down deepest at the core of who I am. I am gentle. I am gentle. This is who Jesus is. This is what he is like. And as we follow him, we're seeking to be shaped by his gentleness. And so Paul models that gentleness here and just in his approach to Philemon on this this tough subject of Onesimus, the slave who ran away. Paul's he's he's gentle, not heavy handed or or dominating or manipulative. And so let me just give you uh, one simple takeaway from this first point, and it's this. The the way we go about these hard conversations, and you can think of conversations you've had in the past, maybe conversations you need to have very soon with someone, the way we go about these conversations is just as important as the issue we're addressing. You know, we, we tend to get very stuck on, on the issue. And I'm going to come, you know, like a minor prophet or, or any prophet in the Old Testament armed with truth, and I am just going to be a truth warrior. And in reality, what we're kind of saying is, I'm just going to be mean. <laughs> um, the way our approach matters as much as, if not more than, uh, the facts of the case. In the early years of our, mar- of our marriage, Stephanie used to joke that um, I would have made a good lawyer. And, and she wasn't commenting on my intellectual abilities or, or grasp of the legal system. Um, <laughs> rather, she was helpfully joking about my tendency to go into these kinds of discussions, conversations, disagreements, armed with evidence, ready to argue my case, and just kicking gentleness and, and love to the side of the road. and I had to learn an important lesson, and that is that, that being in the right, or even thinking I'm right, does not give me permission to be an angry jerk. It just doesn't. <laughs> no matter how right we are, it doesn't give us permission to be jerks. And a few weeks ago at, at the church we attended during um, sabbatical 
the pastor preached from Second Timothy, and, and I was really just struck by Paul's counsel to Timothy, a pastor. Uh, Paul talks to him about how to handle opposition, how to handle even those who are, who are making trouble in the church with false doctrine and, and things like that. And he says there in Second Timothy 2, 24 and 25 to Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent's with gentleness. There it is again. With gentleness. You know, Paul is, is telling Timothy, whom he's exhorted to stand for the truth and to be bold in the Lord. He says, look, you need to be kind, not quarrelsome. You need to be patient, gentle, even with people who are wrong and in need of correction. And really, Paul's counsel here, uh, it, it applies very broadly, very widely, not just to pastors, not just to Timothy, really to all Christians. And, you know, married couples, gentleness is often a missing ingredient from marriage relationships. And, and so many marriage relationships grow cold or, or they go sour because gentleness is missing. And so husbands and wives, you know, cultivate gentleness. It, it can go a long way in marriage. Uh, parents, you know, it's good and necessary to teach your children obedience and proper respect for authority. And, so this is not but, this is and alongside those things, they need to see authority exercised in the right way. With gentleness, with kindness, with, with love. Um, I, I think you all covered this in Colossians 3 uh, several weeks back, but, but Paul you know, tells fathers, don't exasperate your children. And, and so often we do because most of what they hear from us is just, um, or experience from us is just a list of demands and, and heavy-handed control. But if our children saw parental authority exercised with, with Christ-like gentleness, that is powerful. That is powerful because you don't see that most of the time in this world. That is powerful. It's, it's life-changing. And then even for us as a church, I mean, we are a church full of different people, different backgrounds, different life experiences, different ethnicities. We, among us, we, we have different approaches to politics, different perspectives on issues affecting our community. And, you know, as Christians, we talk a lot about kindness and gentleness and, and love. And our neighbors are watching. They want to see, is it just talk or is it a reality in, in that community? You know, they, they want to see, are, are those Christian people, are they infected with outrage like the rest of us? Or is something different going on? in that community. And, and gentleness, I just want to say, is such a powerful witness to the gospel of the gentle Christ. And so what does it look like to have these tough conversations in a Christian way? Well, it, it looks like gentleness, not heavy-handedness. All right, second, what the goal is. What should we be aiming at when we when we deal with conflict, when we deal with uh, tough conversations with each other, what are we aiming at? 
And first, let me just put it negatively. So negatively, the goal is not to impose my will on the other person. And, and see if you can relate to this. Often I go into these kinds of situations, um, and my first impulse is, I know exactly what they need to do, and I'm going to convince them to do it. In other words, my goal is to get my will done. You know, this is an opportunity for me to build up the kingdom of Ryan Wenzel. And that's not what we see Paul doing here. In fact, Paul, he sets aside his preferences. I don't know if you, if you pick that up as I read the passage, but uh, look again at what Paul says uh, there, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So again, Paul's instrumental in this man's conversion. It's resulted in a father-son bond between them. And, and Paul has a deep affection for Onesimus. And he goes on in verse 11, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. And, and Paul is, is using a play on words here. The, the name Onesimus means useful. It was a, a name or maybe just a, a nickname that, that slave owners often gave to slaves. You know, the, this is not a human being. This is just a useful tool. And apparently, Onesimus hadn't been a very good slave. Paul says he was formerly useless to you. I, maybe he wasn't a hard worker. Maybe he was insubordinate. Uh, clearly, he ran away and took some of Philemon's uh, uh, wealth with him. Um, but Paul says, now in Christ... Uh, Onesimus is a different man. He's a, he's a different person. He's, he's useful to you and me. And if you ask Paul, you know, Paul, what would be your preference in this whole situation? What would you like to see the outcome be? Well, he tells us in verse 13, he says, look, I, I'd be happy for Onesimus to, to stay here with me as my assistant and to help me in, in gospel work. That's what I would really love to see. That would please me. That would work out well for me. But he goes on to say, I'm not going to impose my will on you, Philemon. Instead, he says in verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, even though it's a loss for me. And so negatively, our goal in this is not to... Um, impose our will on the other person. Well then, what is the goal? Positively, the goal, and this shouldn't be a surprise, the goal is doing good to my neighbor. Loving my neighbor. Serving my neighbor. Even in this tough, uncomfortable conversation. And, and that is a much different perspective than, than the first one, right? The one I just talked about, imposing my will. Um, the first way is all about me. What I want, what I need, how I can control and manipulate to get it. Um, it's focused on, on self. Uh, the, the Christian way, the way of Jesus, the way that Paul models here, is focused on my neighbor's well-being. Look at what he says in verse 14. You know, I, I would love to keep Onesimus with me, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. In other words, Paul's not interested 
in coercing Philemon or getting Philemon to just grudgingly go along with Paul's plan. Instead, he wants to help Philemon act willingly, voluntarily, um, in faith, out of love for Christ, love for Paul, love even maybe for Onesimus. And, and Paul sees this whole situation as an opportunity to, to help Philemon continue to demonstrate Christian virtue. You know, he, he commended them early in the letter for, for displaying love for, for all the, the Christians there in Colossae. And Paul sees this sticky situation as, as a, a way for him to be an, an instrument in the Lord's hands to help Philemon continue to grow and, and pursue Christ and demonstrate the love of Christ. And so, um, in terms of application... Uh, I, I want to gently encourage, so there's that word gently, right? I can say hard things because I said I'm going to gently encourage you. <laughs> no, I want to encourage you to, when you, before, really, you jump into these kinds of conversations, I examine what your heart. Think about what's driving you. You know, what are you really trying to accomplish here? Uh, I am the father of, of five boys, and they are great kids. Um, sometimes they need a little correction, and they're going to correct me after the sermon and say, don't talk about us <laughs> in the sermon. You know, for example, when they were younger, um, and there was an argument between them maybe about a, a toy or something like that, and, and they're yelling at each other, and uh, maybe punches have been thrown, and there's crying and finger-pointing and, and accusations. Um, it's probably safe to say that, that most of the time when I stepped into those situations as the father, my goal, at, at least at first, was to restore peace and quiet as quickly as possible so I don't have to listen to the noise any longer. I mean, if I'm being honest, that's probably what was driving me. This is loud. I don't like it. It's disturbing me. Let's squash it. But of course, I would tell myself, well, you know, my children are, are in the wrong. They need correction. This is good for them. I, I, I'm doing what the Lord tells me to do. But really, it was just all about me. And it's easy to deceive ourselves. Uh, it's important, so it's important to stop and, and, and think. You know, um, even the the reading we did earlier from First Corinthians 13 about what love is. Even using some of the statements Paul makes there about what love is, it's not irritable. <laughs> you know, am I just acting right now because I'm annoyed? Um, and you know, spend time in prayer. Ask the Lord to to purify. Your motives. You know, later you might want to Google an article titled X-Ray Questions by David, Powell, David Powlison uh, from CCEF. Uh, he provides a number of great questions to help you uh, discern what's motivating you. I think it's 35 questions or something like that. Great little article. So, so we've talked about what this looks like, what it looks like to go about these things in a Christian way. We've talked about what the goal is. It's to do our neighbors good, not to serve ourselves. Now, third point, how is this possible? <laughs> you know, how can you and I be the kind of people who handle difficult relational issues with, with gentleness 
and, and with the goal of doing good to others. There's two things I want to say here. The, the first is, remember that God is here. God is here. He is present. He is engaged in your life. He, he cares about these relationships. He's here as our Redeemer and Helper. You know, God has not left you to do life on your own. He hasn't left you to rely on your limited uh, resources and wisdom. God is here, even in these messy, messy relationships. Did you notice how Paul brings God into the picture? Uh, you know, maybe Philemon was so consumed with the wrong done to him that he had forgotten that God hasn't gone anywhere. He can redeem this. He's at work. Paul, Paul says in verses 15 and 16, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. I, I like to think of this as sanctified speculation. You know, normally speculation is a, a bad practice to engage in. Here it seems to be okay. And Paul's saying, you know, just maybe, Philemon, uh, God has a bigger purpose in all this. You know, have you thought about that? Uh, you know, sometimes we use Romans 8.28 as sort of just a cliche. You know, when somebody's suffering, you know, I don't want to hear how painful it is anymore. Let me just quote a Bible verse at you. Um, but it really is a source of, of deep comfort and, and security. Paul says there in Romans, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's Paul saying, God is here. He's in control. In the good things, in the bad things, God is here. And it's so important to remember that God is present to help. You know what happens when we forget that he's involved? Fear begins to consume us. Uh, you know, we ruminate on this long list of, of what ifs. What if this happens? What if that goes wrong? What if, what if they don't listen? And then we get to the end of the list and we start all over again and, and go through each question again, just uh, in the grip of fear and worry. And fear not only, you know, is crippling, it, it tempts us to try to play God. You know, if he's not here and if he can't help, then it's all up to me. You know, I, I need to make sure this thing doesn't go off the rails. And, and as a result, we, we wander off that path of, of gentle persuasion and we resort to controlling others, dominating others, manipulating others so that we can guarantee the outcome. And it's all because we've forgotten that God is here, that he can be trusted. And, and if you struggle with fear, if it's hard to, for you to remember that, that God loves you and that he's with you, there's a, a simple practice I would commend to you. I learned this from uh, Pastor Zach, Zach Eswine. Many of you know who that is. Um, it's just a very simple prayer. Something to pray in those moments when, when fear has got hold of you. And it, and it goes like this. Lord Jesus, you are here. That's it. I told you it's, it's simple. 
You know, when I'm struggling with fear and worry and doubt, that's about as sophisticated a prayer as I can pray. Lord Jesus, you are here. And you could add to it, you know, be my helper. I know you're in control. Steady me. Uh, It's not a magic formula. So um, it's just a simple way to bring the reality of God's presence and help back into your experience. A way to ever so slightly loosen the grip of fear. And so the, the, the first way this is possible, remembering that God is here. Second, hope in His grace. Hope in His grace. You see, God is not just here, as comforting as that is, He's present with His saving power. He's present with His transforming grace that that changes things, that changes uh, me, it changes my neighbor. And and the word grace, it's not used in this passage, but but it just permeates everything Paul has to say uh, in this letter. You remember he opens the letter by thanking God for evidences of His grace in Philemon's life. We'll, we'll see next week. Paul's confident that, that God's grace is at work in Philemon and it's going to lead to a good response on Philemon's part. And, and even here, even in these verses, um, Paul highlights how God's grace has already been at work in the situation. I mean, Onesimus, the once useless slave, the thief, the, the runaway, is now a beloved brother in the Lord. Uh, He's a child of God by grace. It's this unexpected transformation. Uh, And if we lose sight of God's transforming grace, when we go into messy conversations, when we deal with the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our own sin and lives, if if we lose sight of God's grace, we'll become cynical. Become hopeless. You know, and in every human relationship, you butt up against the, the deceitfulness of sin and the hardness of the human heart. And every once in a while, it's the other person's hard heart. You know, why even try to have the tough conversations? Why disciple? Why counsel? Why pray? Why preach and teach? Because God's grace gives us hope. God is here, and He's here in His saving power. He's here with His grace, and therefore we have hope. Christ has promised us that His grace is sufficient for us. And I, I would encourage you, draw on it. Lean on it. Hope in it. Trust Him. Know that He's here. Know that He's working in your life. That's how this is possible. And just one final encouragement. Let the grace that Jesus has shown you make you gentle and winsome. Jesus gently welcomed us when we were sinful, guilty, undeserving, and so now we can gently welcome others. We can show gentleness to those who offend us. Jesus set aside his rights for the sake of our eternal good, and so now we can deny ourselves. We can put aside self-interest and, and selfishness for the good 
of others. Let the, the grace and the gentleness of your Savior, Jesus Christ, shape you. And may He strengthen you with His grace. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, um, we, we do pray that you would cause us to be a community that is different, a community shaped by the grace of Jesus Christ, the, the gentleness of our Savior. Would you help us, Lord, to, to show gentleness, uh, even to those who, who have been hurtful toward us? Would you help us to go about the sometimes difficult conversations you call us to with, with humility and love and gentleness? And help us, Lord, to remember that you are here. You are with us. And you are present with your grace to help us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.